0: When we talk about traveling through the back door, that means ditching the tourist crowds, making your own discoveries, ideally in places like Armenia. Hi, I'm Rick Steves, and today, we're about to get acquainted with the Republic of Armenia. It's a small Christian nation squeezed between its Muslim neighbors in the Caucasian mountains. Armenia is celebrating 15 years of independence from the former Soviet Union, but its rich history dates back to ancient times. With a rugged landscape dotted with Orthodox churches, Armenia offers travelers a chance to truly get off the beaten path. Matthew Karanian is so proud of his Armenian heritage, he's co-authored the book on Armenia. Matthew joins us in the hour ahead. But first, we'll start out today's edition of Travel with Rick Steves with an open phone session to see what's on your mind. From Arizona to Armenia, the world can be our playground. Stay with us. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. Even when it was part of the Soviet Union, Armenia retained its own ethnic and cultural identity. Today, this recently independent republic is celebrating a cultural tradition that goes back before recorded history. High in the Caucasian mountains, Armenia is landlocked, surrounded by difficult neighbors and scarred by a cruel history. But the pride of its people for their ancient homeland is an inspiration. We'll get to know Armenia a little later this hour on Travel with Rick Steves. But first, let's talk about your travels. 877-333-RICK. That's our phone number. Or email us at radio at ricksteves.com. Michelle from Orange County has some ideas on travel. Hi, Michelle.
1: Hi Rick, how are you?
0: I'm good. How are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm doing great. Well, we are planning. Uh, we are going to start in Brussels, and we wanted to. We got two weeks, and so we wanted to hit um, over in Germany. We wanted to go to the uh, to the Saint Gore and Bachrock area. Right. Um, we understand that they're having a festival. So we wanted to be able to see that um, Amsterdam and uh, London, and we were going to see if maybe we couldn't throw uh, France in there somewhere along the way. Mm -hmm. So we've been getting some really good information. Um, What we're kind of light on is on the the rail travel.
0: Right. Well, you're in the best part of Europe for rail travel there. The question for you is, are you going to get a rail pass or not? You're probably not putting in enough kilometers to justify buying a rail pass. Remember, you can buy second-class point-to-point tickets anywhere in Europe, and they just charge you per kilometer. Uh-huh. Uh, you've got, uh, in most cases, you can just hop on and off along the line. So if you're going from Amsterdam to Frankfurt, you could stop at Arnhem for the museum, and you could stop in uh, Bonn to see Beethoven's house, and you could stop at a couple of towns along the Rhine on your way to Frankfurt before taking the express train over to Paris or whatever. Uh, be careful you don't try to pack in too much. you got two weeks. I hear you saying Brussels, Amsterdam, the Rhine River, London, and some of France. Right. That's an average of three days per stop, which is not bad, but you wouldn't want to do too much more than that, that's for sure. Okay. You know, when you've set your itinerary up, I think regardless of where you're going, you might want to go to the web, and every country has a national tourist office with a good uh, energetic website and they're all about promoting tourism in their country and you can bet that there's going to be a, an English language list of upcoming festivals and events. I don't think it's so important to revolve your whole trip around these events but no. it really behooves you to have your proposed itinerary and then find this list of festivals and then you realize oh if I got to St. Gore one day earlier I'd hit it in a once in a year harvest festival.
1: Exactly and we're also taking our 16 year old nephew with us and uh-huh. he's, he, this is the first time for him going abroad. We've, we've been before but we've been but this is his first time. So we didn't know if there was anything that that you might recommend that we might be missing.
0: For a 16-year-old, you've got all sorts of fun you could do. I've traveled. My boy's 18, but some of our best trips were the last couple of years because he was a little more engaged in the trip. And renting a bicycle in in the Netherlands from Amsterdam, you can hop on a bike and just bike to to your heart's content through the city or out into the countryside. Uh You've got, uh, you know, kids love the uh, dungeons and the torture museums and all this kind of thing. All along the Rhine, you've got great castles to check out. Of course, when you're in London, you've got the the plays, and if he wanted to just kind of take it upon himself to know what entertainment is out there, you want to incorporate him into the planning just so he feels like he owns part of the trip. Uh-huh. I think that's very important. And the more we dig, the more we find there is that's fun for the teenagers in Europe.
1: Yeah, that's that's what we're really looking forward to. So
0: There's good biking. There's really good biking, mountain biking and so on. Uh, boy, uh, along the Rhine River, there's wonderful bike paths, and uh, and that would make a lot of sense. And also, there are these sort of rowdy tours that are given for college kids by college kids, and teenagers kind of enjoy getting in on that.
1: What about the uh, the um, the cruises along the Rhine, like the one-hour cruise between Bachrock and, um, and yeah. Saint Gore?
0: Yeah, there's cruises that leave every hour or so all along the Rhine. When people have a short amount of time, I think sometimes they spend too much time on the boat and not enough time in the castles. Okay, uh, you want to check the the very best hour is right there in that one-hour cruise, basically from. Uh, Koblenz to St. Gore or Bacharach in that area. And then you'll want to be sure to get up into the, uh, into the castles and and tour those castles. The St. Gore Castle is particularly good because you can go underground into these tunnels that they built. And it's just one of the most evocative experiences if you can sort of recreate the situation for your teenager that's traveling with you because you got all this boiling oil being tossed out of the windows and you got all these crossbows and all these dungeons. And it's just fascinating stuff. And, you know, it inspires a kid to get into that and actually Get a history degree when they go to college. I I got a history degree just for kicks. Uh, it was entertainment for me because my parents took me to the castles on the Rhine when I was about sixteen.
1: And is that the the Rheinsfeld castle that you're talking Rheinfeld's
0: about? Rheinsfeld's castle. That's the my one. Of, that's my favorite castle to tour on the Rhine.
1: Yeah, we're um we're fortunate. My my sister is uh, is allowing him to take two weeks out of school to go with us. Well, so. any
0: any good teacher would recognize two weeks in Europe would be a, a rich educational experience. He can bring the reading along and so on. But he's going to every day is just going to be carbonated with all sorts of uh, education that you can't imagine at this point
1: That sounds like a great deal and um, any tips in Brussels
0: Brussels I think for the for kids there's a wonderful car museum in Brussels one of the best the best car museum I've ever seen in Europe I think is in Brussels uh-huh. uh, it takes you right back to the very first cars in Europe and also there's a wonderful military museum in the same big complex as the car museum. There's a chocolate museum that's a lot of fun. There's a comic book museum in Brussels. Brussels is famous for comics.
1: And how about in Amsterdam for, for uh
0: Amsterdam. Well, it's a wide, wild, and crazy world, and I would just uh, stay close together and go exploring. Um, let's see, biking in Amsterdam is fun. There's actually bike tours in Amsterdam that are just great. You got Anne Frank's house, of course, right? And uh, to work off some energy, you can rent paddle boats and actually do the canals by paddle boat. You know, enjoy your planning stage. I would recommend um, before your trip to Amsterdam, see the movie Soldier of Orange. See it with your with your student. It's about the Dutch resistance during the whole uh, Anne Frank Nazi Holocaust. And you see the courageous struggle the Dutch people put up against the Nazis. What a what a overwhelming battle that must have been. And then you can go to the great Nazi resistance museum in Amsterdam, which is almost nobody goes there, and it's far more interesting than in Frank's house, I would say.
1: Oh, okay. That, sound, that sounds great.
0: All right. Hey, well, Michelle, thank you very much, and let us know how your trip goes.
1: Thanks, uh, Rick. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye, bye now. Bye-bye.
0: Susie in Paris shares these tips on traveling in France. Number one, Greet the shopkeeper in French when you enter, and when it's your turn to order at the bakery, always say merci, au revoir. Number two, white tennis shoes and T-shirts with large lettering or logos on them announce to everyone around that you're an American tourist. If you want to blend in, dress in subtle, solid colors and dark shoes. Number three, it's easy to speak too loudly on the metro, so keep your voice down. Number four, eating in a restaurant in France is an experience, not an everyday event for people, so they take their time, and so should you. Restaurants aren't pushing you to leave. Slow service in France is good service. You won't get the bill until you ask for it. And finally, of course, no matter what country you're in, learn a few tidbits of the language and try to use them, especially when in restaurants. Travel tips from Susie, who's learning lots during her stay in Paris. Jerry in Rochester.
2: Yes. I want you to know that I've been practicing the Rick Steves method of travel for about 35 years, and it's just been great.
0: Good for you. Yeah, you know, the Rick Steves method of travel existed long before I did. It's just uh, kind of uh, expecting yourself to travel smart and equipping yourself with good information, uh, becoming a temporary European rather than trying to transplant your American uh, niceties. I always say it's like if it's not to your liking, change your liking.
2: Absolutely. Back in the early 70s, I spent nearly two years in Turkey And I traveled around almost the entire country, but I haven't been back since. And I just wondered if you could talk about some of the places you go and perhaps uh, some of the changes you might have seen, especially since the earthquake and so forth a few years ago. Right.
0: When were you there last, Jerry? Uh,
2: Probably about 1973.
0: Oh, man, it's changed a lot. My first time in Turkey was 74 or 75. And, boy, that experience, I think, really solidified my love of travel. It was a very exciting place to travel back then. Now you've got the same essential charm of Turkey, but it's a success story, really. Wonderful infrastructure for travel, great bus system, great communication, people speak English, ATMs everywhere. I think Turkey is one of the safer places you would travel. It's really, you know, Turkey has an image problem. When I first wanted to go to Turkey, my parents begged me not to go to Turkey, you know, when I was a kid, and they just didn't understand why, but they knew it was scary. Well, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, Turks just kind of look scary to an American because... They might not be as carefully shaved as we are, but that's a silly way to judge a nation. Turkey's the size of California with 60 or 70 million people, and you've got lots of prehistoric sites, lots of ancient sites, lots of biblical sites... Incredible amount of history. It's very cheap. The food is fun. For me, one of the challenges in Turkey is to connect with the people today. I never let a day go by without playing a game of backgammon. I just love to go to the tea houses and play backgammon. I, I suppose you can remember that when you were there in the 70s. Oh, I love their chai. Yeah, the chai is just great. And the magic. I used to take my tour groups into the tea houses and we'd just buy tea for everybody in the tea house and we'd all scatter and play backgammon with the locals and it was just a hoot for everybody involved. These days, Turkey is. You know, it's 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 getting more modern like every place, but a beautiful way that it's getting modern is it's it's protecting its ways and it's um, actually it's appreciating its traditions in in like a lot of countries do. So it's it's got a nice mix of modernity and comfort and efficiency, but they haven't turned their back on their traditions.
2: I, I found them to be one of the most polite and helpful people that I've ever visited and and we traveled by bus, Domos, even train. I I remember taking the Paris Orient Express from Istanbul to Ankara for like seven bucks a night for a sleeper car.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, it's a little more expensive now, Jerry. And remember the old Dolmush. You're talking about Dolmush is the Turkish word for squished. I don't know if you knew that, but a dolmush was their cross between a bus and a taxi way to get around. They'd have a minibus sitting at a corner, and whenever it's jam-packed with people, they'd squeeze a few more in, and then it would take off. And, uh, Plus
2: chickens and ducks. And
0: everybody, and that was a fun part of Turkey to me because you had people all over you with all the chickens and the ducks, like you said. And that's one thing that's been lost with the uh, affluence in modern comfortable age is no more dolmushes. Or they got dolmushes, but you kind of got seat numbers now and so on. But the easiest way to spice up your European trip is to check out Turkey. And remember. In Europe, you can fly open jaws. You can fly into Dublin and home from Istanbul just as easily as you can fly in and out of Madrid or something. Uh, And it makes a lot of sense to finish your trip in Turkey and then fly home from that exotic far point of your trip. I would remind you, Jerry, or anybody who's thinking about Turkey, we take um, 10 or 12 trips to Turkey every year. They're generally sold out. And and if you want to know how the people's experience was, go to our website at ricksteves.com. Look in the tour area and read up on the feedback from people who just dedicated their vacation time and money to a a travel experience in Turkey and see how they enjoyed the the people and the shopping and the food and and how how comfortable they felt. And I think you will pick up their enthusiasm from that. And then you can go on your own or you can take a tour. I don't write any guidebooks to Turkey. There's a wonderful guidebook written by Lonely Planet. That's what I use when I'm in Turkey. And when you get there, there's no shortage of information. The museums have really been... uh, invested in in Turkey in a a good way, and you'll find that they're very clever and energetic about sharing their fascinating and and often uh, misunderstood culture. Thank you. All right, Jerry. Well, happy travels. Thanks for your call. Next stop, Armenia. Matthew Karanian fills us in on the attractions of his cultural homeland. Having just shaken off Soviet domination 15 years ago, Armenia is like a teenager among nations. But Armenian culture goes way, way back. In fact, Armenian civilization predates ancient Egypt and Rome, and its deep history is just part of the attraction. Our Insider's Guide to Armenia starts in a moment on Travel with Rick Steves, 877-333-RICK, or email us at radio at ricksteves.com. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines, with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in some 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at AA.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and right now I'm going to take you a place I bet you've never been—Armenia. Got with me on the phone a man who's uh, written a guidebook to Armenia, Matthew Karanian. Matthew, thanks for joining us.
3: Are oh, you quite welcome?
0: When we think about Armenia, we mostly think about headlines in the newspaper or ancient history, but we don't really think about going there as a tourist today. I've never met anybody who's who's been there, and I've traveled a lot. And uh,
3: well, now you have.
0: Now I have. Uh, what makes you, are you like Armenian? Have you, did you grow up there? How do you know so much about Armenia?
3: I'm of Armenian descent. My grandparents were refugees from Armenia. And you know, we don't read too much about Armenia in the newspapers today, uh, but uh, it, 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 it's word of mouth and people like me who spread the word about making Armenia a travel destination
0: i got to say, uh, Matthew, when I looked at your book, it's a beautiful book. It's Thank The you. Stone Garden Guide to Armenia and Karabakh, and it's uh, published in uh, late 2004. And I know the book business, and I looked at this book and I thought, there is nowhere near enough market to justify the publication and the research of such a great book. Um, it's expensive and time-consuming to produce a book like this, and, and uh, you must have a, a tiny market. How many people go to Armenia as tourists?
3: You know, when, when uh, tourists first started traveling to Armenia, in any significant numbers... It was really only about 25,000. That was about 10 years ago. And that number has increased about sixfold since then. Uh, in 2001, there was a big increase. There was a lot of interest in, in travel in 2001 because that was the 1700th anniversary of Armenia's um, uh, Christianity, or their adoption of Christianity as a state religion. So it got a lot of people interested, and people went that that year for the first time, and the numbers have kept going up ever since.
0: And I know from my travels, even in eastern Turkey, that there's a lot of beautiful Armenian uh, churches that go back way, way back, more than 1,000 years.
3: The historic monuments are what draw a lot of people to Armenia and and keep them coming back. Uh, So many of the monuments uh, dating back hundreds and and thousands of years uh, are still preserved. In fact, the the state church, the Echmiadzin, which we call the Vatican of Armenia, Dates back to 301 A.D.
0: 301. A lot of uh, uh, Americans don't realize that Christianity uh, really was a Middle Eastern religion. I mean, it goes uh, uh, all across to India, as a matter of fact. Uh, early Christian sort of monuments survive, and we travelers can check them out. You know, I, I, have a, I think a lot of us have a tough time even finding Armenia on the map. It actually borders Turkey on the eastern end of Turkey, right?
3: That, that's right, and uh, it borders Iran... Uh, Iran is on the south, and and you know the proximity to Iran is something that causes some people um, cause for pause, because they think, well, uh, is it going to be safe to go to Armenia because of this region of the world that it's located in? And you know, I've been traveling to Armenia for 10 years, and I always feel safest when I'm in Armenia, more so even than the U.S. It's a really safe country. It's politically stable. There's no problems at all within the four borders.
0: Now, are the political boundaries of Armenia the same as the ethnic boundaries? Do the Armenian people spill out into other countries?
3: Well, they, the, there's a large Armenia diaspora. Um, however, as far as in that part of the world, there's, there's Armenians, obviously, mostly in Armenia, but also in Georgia and southern Georgia and Tbilisi. There's a lot of Armenians still living in Iran. Uh, there are no Armenians today, or very few Armenians today, living in uh, Turkey or Azerbaijan.
1: Okay.
0: Now, for thinking about Armenia, the capital Yerevan, is, is that the uh, slam dunk, gotta see this city, that's the most important urban slice of Armenia?
3: Actually, that's where you have to go to start your trip, but it's not the, I think, the most interesting place in the country. The reason you have to start your trip there is that if you're going to travel to Armenia, you really have to fly. You're not going to be able to take a train or a bus very conveniently. So, all flights arrive in Yerevan, the capital. And obviously, you're going to want to start your trip in Yerevan. You're probably going to stay in a very good three star or four star hotel there. Um, but after a couple of days in Yerevan, you really need to see the countryside because that's where. So many of the historic monuments are located, where the real beauty of the countryside is. Matthew,
0: let's say I give myself a couple of days to get my bearings in the capital, Yerevan, and then I've got a week to get on the countryside. In a, in a thumbnail kind of sketch, tell me what kind of variety and, and highlights I would, I would put into my itinerary to explore uh, Armenia.
3: One of the highlights, one of the first things you're going to want to do is, is go to Echmiadzin, which is, the, which is the seat of the Armenian church. And the Armenian church is very important to Armenia uh, because, as I mentioned, it's, it's more than 1,700 years old. And it really forms the identity of the Armenian nation. That's one of your first stops. Uh, and you'll see, um, you'll see the historic sites there. Lake Sevan is a huge alpine lake, one of the largest uh, freshwater alpine lakes in the world. And that's only about a one-hour drive outside of the capital. And by making that trip, you'll get back into nature. You'll see uh, beautiful scenery, beautiful mountainsides. You'll have an opportunity in good weather to swim, to hike, to go bicycling, to go boating. So it's an, it's, an active, uh, it's an active trip you can take by going to that part of the country. Traveling to the south of the country, again, you've got more historic sites and just tremendous biological diversity. A lot of people are traveling now to the southern part of, uh, or the, mi- the middle part of the country just south of Yerevan for bird watching and birding opportunities, tremendous migratory bird population.
0: Now, you mentioned uh, you've got to fly into the capital of Yerevan, and in your book you said there are several flights per week. Is it that sparse?
3: You know, it's, it's funny you say sparse because, from my point of view, several flights a week sounds great. <laughs> uh, when we first started traveling to Armenia, there was uh, one flight a week.
0: Well, I guess it's it really
3: difficult it? to get in. You missed your flight and you had to wait another week before you get another. So, several flights a week is great. And uh, uh, there's major Western carriers that can take you there now British Airways, Lufthansa, Czech Airlines, mm-hmm. Austrian Airlines, some of the biggest ones. Also,
0: you mentioned it's mostly a cash economy, meaning don't rely on your credit card.
3: Well, you know, it, it is still mostly a cash economy. Uh, it used to be entirely cash. Now the major hotels will take credit cards. Okay. Some of the larger shops will take credit cards. But you really should plan not just on cash, but you can bring your ATM card.
0: You can use your what ATM What I've done on in, my
3: travels is okay. with an HSBC card or a major ATM card, you'll be able to access your accounts, and that way you don't have to travel with a lot of money.
0: Now you mentioned uh, hitching is common with the locals. Even older people in the military uh, get around the country by hitching. Everybody. So when you're I've traveling... Picked
3: up, I, we've picked up police officers hitchhiking.
0: That's just the way to get around. If something's rolling and there's room in the back, you can hop in, basically.
3: A- and, and if you're driving by yourself in a car and you don't stop to pick somebody up, they wonder what's wrong.
2: Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Why would you not stop? Wow. Now, when people are traveling in the development world, a lot of times they underestimate the uh, affordability of having a car with a driver. As a matter of fact, in many places, it's cheaper to rent a car with a driver than to rent a car and pay insurance so you can drive yourself
3: around. Is that
2: the case the in Armenia? The interesting
3: thing about Armenia is that not only is it less expensive, but it's really the most practical way to get around. If, if you wanted to, uh, for example, if you wanted to use public transportation in Armenia, you could do it, but it would be very time-consuming. And if you're there as a, a tourist for only a week or, or two, you really don't want to spend a lot of time waiting for buses and hoping for connections. Would your
0: driver function as a guide as well?
3: Your driver could easily function as a guide. But what about if,
0: the language barrier?
3: Um, the language um, barrier, the English language is spoken by so many young people in Armenia now, especially in the capital, that I've always found it difficult to speak Armenian because so many people want to speak English. They want to practice their English.
0: Okay, so you get a young driver with your car, and um, for about what you'd expend to rent a car in Europe, you'd come with your own driver guide.
3: Exactly, yeah. We've
0: got a couple of callers in the line. Uh, you mentioned uh, Savan Lake Savan. I've got somebody in the line from Montreal whose name is Savan. Hi, Savan. Hi. Right. Did you know your name is the same as a big lake in Armenia? Yes. Are you Armenian? Yep. You're named after that lake? Sorry? Is the lake named after you, or are you named after the lake? (laughs)
4: I'm I'm named after the lake, of course.
0: Wow. Do you have any comments for uh, Matthew or travelers who are considering going to your your homeland?
4: Um, No, I'm just uh, gladly listening. It sounds interesting, and uh, I've been there for years, and uh, I never heard about Armenia from a travel point of view, so it's really interesting.
0: Does, it sound, does Matthew make it sound a little uh, more easy and inviting for the American tourist mm. than it really is?
4: No, actually, it's really easy to get around there. It's, very, it's a very welcoming country with bright people who are educated and talented, and they really make an effort to understand, help
0: now this is as great. best
4: as they can. And it's actually very easy to get around in town, too, with the minibuses. And uh, if you want to go around the country, of course, it's best if you have a car, but...
0: The minibuses. Now, I've enjoyed that in Turkey, the Dolmush. It's uh, literally squished, and people just squeeze into the minibus, and it's going off into whatever direction they're heading, and there's a a little boy hanging out the door screaming the name of the next village. Is that how it works?
4: No, there's so many of them in Yerevan that uh, I've never seen such a problem because it's around all the time. It's available all the time, and uh, also you can walk. People okay. walk a lot there. Yeah, yeah I, I've always so,
3: told people to go ahead, take those minivans, hop on the minivan, and even if you don't know where it's going, so what? You're not going to get that far out of your way. and okay. It costs about $0.10 cents anyway, so even if you do get out of your way, just hop on another one the other direction, you won't yeah, waste exactly. the $0.20. Cents.
4: They're very cheap. It's funny you say that because I well, did... All was, kinds of them going to all kinds of directions, so if you know where you have to go, which number you should take, then you wouldn't be out of your way anyway.
0: I like Matthew's idea of just getting on one and seeing where it goes. My rule of thumb was I did this in eastern Turkey. I'll hop on a minibus that's leaving town and get off at a spot where everybody thinks you're mistaken to be getting off there. <laughs> and all of the caring people will say, no, no, excuse me, no tourist ever got off here. And you say, this is
3: where I'm going. Those are the most interesting spots sometimes.
0: You know, backgammon and tea houses are a charming thing about eastern Turkey. Do you, is there sort of a, an easy way to connect with the people when you're in uh, Armenia?
3: Everybody plays backgammon. You won't find uh, any difficulty... Getting a backgammon game, I've uh, I've I've seen people playing it on the sidewalks.
0: Savan, if I go into a tea house in Armenia, will I be welcome to play a game of backgammon with the local people?
4: You can play. People play chess and backgammon in parks. Even
1: okay. you can just
4: watch or join them. I don't think there are tea houses like in Turkey for those games, but uh, there's clubs and all kinds of places for professionals. Of course, you'll see around uh, the parks. Also, many people play.
0: Okay. Uh, Sivan, hang on the line for a minute. I want to talk about uh, a difficult thing for Armenia, the genocide, and I want to talk with Matthew about that and also with you. I'm talking with um, Matthew Karanian, and he and his uh, partner, Robert Kirkjohn, have written what looks like a wonderful book to Armenia, published by the Stone Garden Guide, The Stone Garden Guide to Armenia and Karabakh. Matthew, a lot of us, when we think of Armenia, we hear about this terrible uh, genocide, and of course, there's a a horrible uh, relation between Turkey and Armenia historically because the Turks refused to acknowledge it or apologize for it or whatever and I don't want to get into a big Turkish Armenian thing here but tell me just historically, uh, sort of uh, dispassionately, the story about this genocide.
3: Well the reason there, there is such a large Armenian diaspora is because of the genocide and that's really why I'm an American. My grandparents, as I mentioned earlier uh, in the broadcast, my grandparents were refugees uh, from the genocide and they came to America and
0: uh, when was Armenians have such,
3: such really such fond um, relations with America because uh, because America opened its arms to the Armenian refugees back in 1915. So it
0: was 1915 during World War One that we have this uh, genocide in Armenia. Actually, was it in Armenia or was it the Armenians that happened to be within the borders of Turkey?
3: Well, Armenia was was split up between the Ottoman Empire and the uh, Russian Empire. Okay. And the provinces of Armenia that were that were within the Ottoman Empire were the ones that were uh, subjected to the genocide.
0: I see. And this was a kind of what we'd call today ethnic cleansing?
3: Yeah, that, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, there's, there's no Armenians left, or very few, if any. So the Turks
0: were going to sort of uh, assume control of what the the remnants of the Ottoman Empire as it was falling apart, and they wanted to get rid of the uh, competition with the uh, ethnic Armenians in that part of the, what they wanted as their country?
3: Um, well, I'm not really qualified as a historian to... to, to I not exactly that the... what their motivations right. were, but, uh, but I do know what happened. And, and okay. what happened was that the, an area where there had been about 2 million Armenians uh, for about 3,000 years um, now has um, just a handful of Armenians, if any.
0: So these people were either killed or left?
3: Uh, well, they didn't leave. <laughs> they were either killed or they were, they were uh, deported. I see. And um, the, the, com- the historians refer to the deportations as death marches, because they weren't really intended to get the population to any particular destination, uh, aside from a grave.
0: Did the genocide also make a point to destroy more than people, the physical monuments of the civilization and so on?
3: Well, actually, that's ongoing. And right now, in fact, uh, in Nakhichevan, uh, there's a region where there had been thousands of Armenian-engraved stone crosses or khachkars. And just as recently as, as, as last month, uh, the, uh, the, the government authorities were bulldozing these, these ancient uh, works of art. And it's been likened by the Armenian government to the destruction of the the huge Buddha monument by the Taliban. By the Taliban
0: in Afghanistan. Exactly. Now, because of this horrible genocide where 2 million people were killed or displaced, did that leave uh, scars in the culture today as far as what the Armenian culture can share about itself with the rest of the world and so on? How does this problem live on today?
2: Well, it's an open
3: wound for so many Armenians because um, not only only did the genocide occur— but there's the ongoing pain of the denial and the inability to really um, reach closure on it.
0: And this really is a problem. Sivan, can you tell me what your thoughts are on that? Are younger Armenians just as committed to this issue, or, or is there a movement to just let it let it pass and the Turks are never going to admit to it and let's just move on?
4: Um, well, like uh, your guest was saying, it's an open wound. but, of course, it's not a daily issue in Armenia because they are in their uh, land, and... Uh, it's more hurtful for diaspora and Armenians at yeah. the same time because they're away from it all. and.
0: Okay, that's interesting. So the people in Armenia, they have their land. It's the diaspora Yeah, they're more Armenians. free
4: from the whole issue.
0: Okay. How many, how many Armenians are... Uh, when I hear the word diaspora, I think of Jews and uh, when they were kicked out of their homeland and went all over the world and maintained their culture. Did the same happen with the Armenians in 1915?
3: The, the, the Jews and the Armenians are uh, similar in so many ways. We both have great diasporas. Um, So a diaspora has been persecuted in their own lands.
0: It's sort of uh, almost by definition associated with genocide. Following an attempted genocide, there is a diaspora?
3: Well, that's what happened with with the Jews and with the Armenians, yeah.
0: Where do most Armenians live today?
3: Um, Well, there's a large, large population in in Los Angeles, in California. Uh, There's also a large population in the Northeast, in New York, and Boston. Um, A lot of Armenians are living in Moscow in the former Soviet Union, because that's where, where so many of them were, in the, in the Soviet Union, and also in the Middle East. It's hard to find a community in the world where there
4: aren't some Armenians.
0: Savana, is there an Armenian community in Montreal where you live?
4: Yes, uh, there's a big, big Armenian community. with uh, There's two churches. Actually, no, there's four of them right now, I think. And, uh, yeah, with schools and... Uh...
0: Is that an Armenian Orthodox Christian church? Yes. Is that like uh, the Russian Orthodox, basically?
4: It's close. It's somewhere between the Russian Orthodox and the, the Copts, probably.
0: The Egyptian Coptic Christians?
4: Yes. Close to those. I mean, it's, to, it's a totally different branch on its own, as far as I know, but it's close to those.
3: Right. Rick, it's actually an apostolic church, and it got its origins from uh, two of the apostles.
0: So what, what do you mean by apostolic church, then?
3: It, it's, um, the, the apostles Thaddeus and Bartholomew uh, were the, the original founders of the Armenian church. Yeah. They proselytized and they, they, they brought Christianity to Armenians. So it's
0: wow. yeah, because it looks
3: similar to the Orthodox Church, but it's actually actually not Orthodox. So
0: it's going right directly back to the early the, the very earliest Christian church. So
3: from my experience over the past ten years, Armenian Christmas is celebrated January sixth, and it's it's not commercialized like Western Christmases. I've oh, yeah. got an
0: email from uh, Jeff in Pennsylvania. He says, "Did you know that Armenia was the first nation to adopt Christianity as a state religion back in three oh one A.D." Does that make sense to you?
3: I did know that, yes. <laughs>
0: wow. that's uh, Talk about a long Christian history.
3: Yeah. And of course, there were, there were Christians, obviously, before 301 A.D., but it was in that year that uh, the state adopted it as its official religion. And that's something that we, we kind of think is being a little unusual, perhaps, in the U.S., where we have a secular society. But back 1,700 years ago, um, the, the, the nations, the, the empires, um, were sectarian,
0: Right. Mostly. Wow, hey Savan, I'm talking with Savan, who's an Armenian uh, Canadian living in Montreal. Savan, how do you feel things are going for Armenia now in the 15 years since the Soviet Union fell apart?
4: Um, (laughs) It's a very tough question what you're asking, but uh, generally,
0: is it a time of hope? Is it good times now? Is there democracy there?
4: Well, hope is what dies the last, but uh, I don't really understand what's happening at the moment.
0: And uh, Matthew, how would you answer my question?
4: Well, you know the 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 um, the, the, uh, the progress that Armenia
3: has made has been really great, but people like me, Armenian Americans who travel to Armenia, tend to be very very hard on the country, and we're very critical of it because we say, look, we know how great it can be. We know what America is like. We know what it should be like, and so we hold the hold the country up to very very high standards.
0: Wow, Savan, thank you very much for calling in from <laughs> Montreal, and uh, we're all learning more about Armenia here. More calls and emails with Matthew Karanian as we learn about Armenia on Travel with Rick Steves. You can join in the discussion online anytime at our website. Look for the radio section at ricksteves.com.
2: Camera ha with Rick Steves. My name is Ken Hanley and uh, from Edinburgh in Scotland, and that was in Scots Gaelic. For the I travel with Rick Steves, slange and urzai.
0: Matthew Karanian is the co-author of the Stone Garden Guide to Armenia and Karabakh, and today he's our guest, taking your calls and emails about Armenia on Travel with Rick Steves. Tell me about the red tape: visas required, and so on, or can you just fly in?
3: Yeah, there's red tape, but it's, there, there isn't very much of it as far as getting a visa. The visas are granted almost routinely. Um, it's very easy to get a visa. You can do it online, even. Can apply for it online okay. you can get a visa at the airport.
0: Can you get a visa at the airport as you enter then?
3: You can yes. In the capital I can say you know in the capital if you want to live like a westerner you can if you want to be a western tourist you can stay in a four-star hotel and be very comfortable once you get out of the capital you probably will have to rough it a little bit more than that so it depends on what kind of a trip you want to take. Uh, in the capital you can go to the opera, philharmonic theaters, there's um, nightclubs, discotheques, it's very western in the capital. Uh, so many times people, people equate it with, as, as you mentioned, Chechnya. It, it's not like that at all. It's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a secular state. It's a democratic republic. It's very Western.
0: And in a lot of ways, it's where East meets West, where, it is, yeah. where uh, Christianity meets uh, Islam.
3: It, it's very interesting in that way that uh, you've got this basically a sea or a, a, a sea of the Muslim states, and there you have this tiny little island of, of Christianity in the middle of it.
0: So Armenia is in, embedded in Islam like Bosnia is Islam embedded in Christianity?
3: That'd be one comparison, yeah, sure.
0: Wow, that's in, that gives it an interesting sort of poignancy to travel there today. Now, I always think of Chechnya when I think of that part of the world and the, the difficulty of the Russian Soviet empire breaking up and so on. Armenia was a part of that. How militarized is Armenia, and how much of this sort of Chechen guerrilla kind of feel uh, do you get there?
3: Oh, not at all. It, it's not like Chechnya at all. Uh, I would liken it more to like, maybe traveling to Massachusetts. Um, wow. There's a lot of Americans there. There's a lot of Armenian Americans who visit. And uh, it's not dangerous at all. There's no risk at all.
0: I'm talking with uh, Matthew Karanian. Who's, uh, your grandparents came over in 1915, as so many American Armenians did, because that was the horrible time of this genocide for Armenia. You've written a book called Armenia and Karabakh. And, uh, I, you know, if we know Armenia, that's one thing, but, boy, Karabakh, that's a whole different thing. This is the region, basically, between the Black Sea and the Caspian Seas, right?
3: Uh, yes, it's located just to the east of the Republic of Armenia.
0: Now, this is a mountainous area. You've got the Caucasus Mountains there?
3: That's right, yeah. Am I saying it correctly? The Caucasus are located to the north. They actually form the boundary between Georgia and Russia.
0: The natural border would be those mountains, then? Exactly,
3: yeah. This is far the far southernmost part of... Uh, the Soviet Union.
0: This Karabakh, is that completely an entirely different country or a part of Armenia, or why do you have Karabakh slapped onto your Armenia guidebook?
3: Well, we, we refer to it as a, as a different entity because uh, during the Soviet era, it was a, what they called a semi autonomous region. They carved it out of a part of the Armenian lands and they put it wholly within Azerbaijan. So it had a, a separate ah, geopolitical identity. So the
0: Soviets had a reason to take it away from Armenia and slap it onto Azerbaijan?
3: Oh, sure, they did that all over the place.
0: Why would they do that, just to divide and conquer the Armenians?
3: Well, not just the Armenians. There's nothing no, but in special this about case... them, but to, to divide and conquer everyone. They did, yeah. this, um, they wow. did this with, with all the, the various nationalities.
0: So ethnically, Karabakh is also Armenian?
3: Uh, ethnically, yes, yeah.
0: Now, I've, I've heard it called a Nachavon. What is Is that the same country, or what is Nakhchivan?
3: Nachivan is another region that, that Stalin did the same thing to. It was another part of historic Armenia, uh, but he carved it out and he ceded that to Azerbaijan. So basically what he did was he, he divided everybody up so that uh, there was no big one concentration of uh, Turkish peoples or Armenian peoples.
0: Okay, so this must be a little bit of a sore point for Azerbaijan now that Azerbaijan is independent. They don't have the little bit of Armenian land that the Soviets gave them, Karabakh. Uh, and judging from what I read in your book, there's terrible relations between Karabakh and Azerbaijan.
3: Well, they're, they're at war. But I think everybody's unhappy. I think Stalin was was pretty good in making everybody unhappy with the situation, and and now, 75 years later, everybody's trying to sort out the big mess that he created. All
0: the seeds of discord planted by expansionist powers in the past, uh, the guys that didn't have any idea what kind of problems they'd, they'd give to people generations later.
3: Well, if all the various ethnic groups were fighting with each other, then Stalin didn't have to worry about them, did he?
0: Clever man, I guess. Um, now, what are the consequences for tourists? in Karabakh must be nowhere near as stable and comfortable as Armenia.
3: Well, if Armenia is difficult to get to because you have to fly there, then Karabakh is even more difficult to get to because first you have to go to Armenia and then you have to take uh, ground transportation to Karabakh, which is another six hours.
0: But if it's, if it's at war at Azerbaijan, you're not promoting tourism there, are you?
3: Well, actually, the, the, there's been a ceasefire since 1994. Huh. And it's quiet there. And I've been traveling there for the past... Ten years, and there's never been a never been a problem there. So yeah, we do we do uh, promote it as a place to go with caveats. there's warnings about Armenia as well. Um, you can't expect everything to be like the West.
0: Are there any uh, United States Department State Department advisories against traveling in Armenia or Karabakh?
3: Um, there's a advisory. No, there's no advisory for Armenia. Um, relations with Armenia are very good, and, and uh, no, there's no there's no right. unusual advisory there. For Karabakh, the U.S. State Department um, Treats it as of the international community as an occupied area, and I don't believe it advises travel. I know that U.S. employees are uh, are not allowed to travel there.
0: So you've got Armenia, and that's been a uh, it's it got its independence in 1991, right? After what, uh, 600 years of foreign rule or something like that?
3: Uh, the previous uh, period of independence was about 600 years earlier. Yeah.
0: Wow, exciting time! Just 15 years of freedom now, and the Soviet Union ruled this area for a couple of generations—what, 60 or 70 years? Mm-hmm. Uh, is there much of a physical Soviet in- inheritance there? Do you see grand Soviet monuments on top of hilltops and so on when you're traveling in Armenia?
3: Well, Yerevan is a relatively newly built city. Most of it was built during the Soviet era. And so a lot of the buildings, are, are, they, they look like typical Soviet buildings. But do you There's have still these... still some monuments. A lot of the monuments from the Soviet era have come down.
0: All right. Is the country truly autonomous, or does Russia still control it or try to control it?
3: Oh, it's as independent as any country can be. I mean, nowadays, the whole world is intertwined and, and, and interdependent. But uh, it's its really what's interesting about Armenia is that it has great relations with the United States. It has thanks very good relations with Thanks in part to people like Russia. you.
0: Thanks in part to all the diaspora Armenians. Exactly,
3: yeah. yeah. I mean, so many you, you travel throughout Armenia, so many people will tell you that they've got cousins or family.
0: You know, that's one great reason to yeah. go to Armenia is they're predisposed to like Americans.
3: Yeah, absolutely, yeah.
0: You know the Armenians that I've met. There's a very there's a special pride and a it just seems like a, a real high caliber of commitment to uh, self respect and dignity. And Armenia is going to use its freedom and its democracy. I think and establish itself as a happening nation.
3: Well, you know the the, the diaspora supports the country and uh, is very dedicated to the country and wants to see it survive and thrive.
0: Now that's very good co- uh, parallel with Israel then.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yes, Armenia would probably be there.
0: Armenia would probably be in desperate straits if it didn't have the uh, diaspora Armenians to support it.
3: Well, I don't know that it would be desperate, but um, but it certainly is better off for having the strong diaspora.
0: I've got somebody that's just emailed us says I'm listening to you uh, via the internet. They're so warm in Armenia, especially in small towns and villages. Just talk to them about anything at all. They have a, and they have an idea about the subject. Um,
3: you know what's really remarkable, uh, Rick, is that uh, the the population is almost entirely literate. The literacy rate approaches 99%. Wow. That's fascinating. fascinating.
0: That is just fascinating. We have Lori on the line from uh, Lake Stevens, Washington. Hi, Lori. Hi, Rick. Thanks for your
1: call. Well, you know, we have a trip, um, our family of four planned for this this fall to Europe, and we wanted to uh, visit a friend in Armenia, but I just had no clue whether that was even a feasible idea and how to go about it. So I've learned quite a bit just listening the last (laughs) little bit.
0: Twenty minutes ago, I'd be in the same boat as you. I didn't think it was so accessible, but uh, I I think uh, Matthew's got something to share here.
1: Yeah, so I guess one of my first questions would be, um, I already know that I need to fly in to the capital city. However, which um, might be the best jumping-off point if we're going to be in Germany, Switzerland, Austria, Italy, and Czech?
3: You've got a lot of choices if you're going to be in all those places. From Prague, you can fly on Czech Airlines. From Munich, you can fly on Lufthansa. From Vienna, you can fly on Austrian. Those are all very easy, easy flights, easy connections to make. From London, you can fly on British Airways.
0: Plenty of okay. ways to get there. Yeah. Good luck, Laurie, on your, on your travel plans.
1: Yes, thank you very much. Yeah,
0: let us know sounds, how it goes.
1: Sounds like a wonderful place to visit.
0: Now, there is Armenian history to see in Turkey. I've been to Lake Van and Kars, Mount Ani, Anikoy. Uh, have you been to these? Do you cover these in your book?
3: I've been to each of those locations, uh, and Robert Kirchon and I have, have both written about them and photographed them uh, uh, very extensively. We do mention them in our book, in the appendix, uh, because we felt it would be uh, no mission.
0: To, uh, to me, eastern Turkey is a fascinating place to travel. Uh, unfortunately, I guess you would just see the shells of Armenian culture because the actual living culture is no longer there. Is that correct?
3: Well, sometimes even less than the shell. There, there is a, a location we went to near uh, Lake Van, where we had photographs of what we expected to see, some some uh, ancient uh, Armenian sites. And when we went to the site, we couldn't find it. Hmm. And we were puzzled at first, and then we, we finally realized that we were looking at the ruins of what in 1914 had been a spectacular monastery.
0: So you're looking at great churches and and, um, and buildings from Armenian, classical Armenian culture, maybe a thousand years old, that were ruined only in the 20th century.
3: It, yeah, only, yeah, they existed for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, it was it a destroyed in 1915.
0: Powerful thing for me to go to Ani, Koy, or do you just call it Ani? It's very close to the border, but it's in Turkey. And you wander around, and you're looking at these ancient buildings that are newly, relatively speaking, destroyed. And then you think of all of this horrible kind of ethnic cleansing and so on, and it's just a powerful travel experience.
2: The
3: the, the, the Ani experience is really a very very sad one for Armenians because you can see Ani across the border. Right. The Armenians. Uh, this is the, an ancient Armenian capital. Right. Uh, the Armenians would like to preserve this area, and yet there's nothing that they can do.
0: So it's an ancient Armenian capital within within view of the border, but it happens to be in Turkey, and therefore uh, Armenia has this dilemma.
3: Exactly. In our, in, in our book, actually, we, uh, we do mention, we explain how to get to the lookout so that you can... Right. From within Armenia, you can actually look across the border.
0: And when I went there, it was before the uh, fall of the Soviet Union, you could look from uh, Turkey and Ani over at that lookout, and there would be Soviet border guards with their binoculars looking at me.
3: <laughs> that still exists, actually. There's still people looking back at each other across the border.
0: I'm talking with Matthew Karanian, and he's written a guidebook on Armenia. And in your guidebook, you say Armenia, ancient nation, new republic. What do you mean by that?
2: Well,
3: the, the nation of Armenia uh, is more than 3,000 years old. There's been an Armenian nation for thousands of years, but it hasn't always been independently ruled it's been in fact it's been independently ruled for very brief periods and uh, it's only been for the past fifteen years that it's been an independent republic now it's a democratic republic it's it's a member of the uh, United Nations a regular member of the international community, hmm. uh, but it's also an ancient place.
0: All right. I got an uh, email here from Anthony uh, in San Francisco. He said that he's read that Matthew and Robert are involved in ecotourism. Uh, what, is there some... What's, what's the deal there, Matthew? Well,
3: we've, we're, promoting, we're, we're promoting ecotourism. Uh, tourism is probably the world's biggest industry right now. And in some ways that's good, but it's also bad because it tends to trample places under its weight and Armenia is, is is largely in the countryside an untouched and beautiful land and we want to see it preserved we'd like to see tourism um uh contribute develop in Armenia yeah. but we want to see it done in a in a sustainable way but
0: i i thought i thought that the soviet union was just such a terrible example of uh, misuse and and abuse of the environment uh uh, don't you have some scars that way after 70 years of Soviet industry?
3: Well, certainly in Yedovan, and there are some communities where, where yes, there are some scars. And there's been some misuse of the natural resources. For example, Lake Savan, uh, a tremendous water resource that was used perhaps mm. in ways that it should not have been used. Uh, in fact, there was even a plan back in the 30s to drain the lake and farm the lake bed. So there are some problems, but, but um, we're, we're expecting that Armenia's, tourism development, because it's coming now and it's coming very slowly and, and steadily, that it will be done in a very responsible way. But these
0: are, these are relatively poor people, and do they actually have a sensitivity to uh, environmental uh, initiatives that would maybe help their environment but cost them more?
3: Well, you know, back in, back in 1988 and 89, it was a huge Greens movement in Armenia, and, and the, the Armenian people um, were advocating the closure of factories, uh... for wow. environmental reasons Wow. now with independence some of that environmentally conscious philosophy took a back seat because the people then said now wait a minute we're we're on our own here we well, don't have plus. the soviet union supporting us
0: and you got capitalism so now let's make some serious money
3: and, and so there has been a lot of that there has been a lot of let's let's exploit the land there's a there's a big push for ecotourism and organic farming right now in armenia uh, Armenia, being a very micro-state, is looking to, to uh, promote itself in the future as a source for organic agriculture.
0: Matthew, speaking of uh, ecotourism and so on, in your book you mention ancient crops. What's the, what's the deal with that?
3: Well, you know, Ar- Armenia is not far from Mesopotamia and the Fertile Crescent. And just south of Yerevan in the Ararat Valley, um, there have been found several ancient strains of wheat uh, there's also a tremendous amount of biological diversity in Armenia, and um, botanists are finding that there are many ancient strains of crops that are still, that are still existent uh, right in the Ararat Valley in Armenia.
0: Fascinating. I got an email here from uh, Armin in Los Angeles. Armin, is that a Armenian name?
3: Uh, yeah, it is, as a matter of fact. It's Armin. a fairly common name in Armenia.
0: And Armin writes us, uh, Karabakh is an absolute oasis, beautiful, clean, friendly, and safe somebody visiting Armenia, must visit Karabakh.
3: Well, I, I think I would agree with that. It is beautiful, it's clean, it's friendly. Uh, it's safe within Karabakh. You know, there's, there's, there are concerns, you know, that, that every traveler has to, to uh, acknowledge whenever traveling outside of the United States. And that is, you know, the, the country is, strictly speaking, in a state of war with Azerbaijan. Now, there haven't been any hostilities, any significant hostilities for the past 12 years. Okay. But still, it's something you have to be aware of, so and be have he- to behave heads accordingly. Up.
0: Now, you've said that uh, younger Armenians are inclined to, are pretty good at speaking English, and the language barrier shouldn't be a, a major concern. But I would think that it's just good style to learn a little Armenian as you're traveling.
3: Well, it, it's, you know, no matter where you go, Rick, it's always good to know a little bit of the language.
0: And uh, do you speak the language?
3: I, I'm passable. All right. I'm conversant on the street. People in Armenia love it. If you can say hello to them... Or right. thank you in the local language, th- they love that.
0: Matthew, teach me yes, no, please, thank you. Uh,
3: okay, you'd, you'd, you'd say bad of zest, which is hello. Shinorha uh, Galachun is how Armenians say thank you, but you know, in Yerevan, they say merci because oh. it's so much easier <laughs> to say it in French than wow. it is to say it in Armenian. T- tell
0: me the Armenian thank you.
3: Shinorha uh, Galachun.
0: Ashura Is that right?
3: Shinorha Galachun. <laughs> this is why so many people say merci.
0: Merci. Okay, I'll just say merci. How do you say goodbye?
3: hajolhucun
0: uh, um, hajolhucun or
3: stesachun are two ways to say it how do you,
0: how do you say yes and no
3: ayo uh, is yes and voch is no or you could say che also
0: so it's not it doesn't sound like Turkish and it doesn't sound like uh, Slavic language
3: it's an Indo-European language and you know it has, its, it has a unique alphabet which makes it all the more challenging for, for someone to try to learn uh, there's no other, no other language that uses the Armenian alphabet
0: so it's not related to Slavic Turkic or Farsi no Wow, it's just a little linguistic island.
3: It's on a branch all by itself on the linguistic tree.
0: And it's a little bit of Christendom floating there in the middle of Islam. Yeah. Wow, fascinating.
3: There used to be a lot of Christendom.
0: (laughs) We can uh, learn a lot more by actually traveling there. I've been talking with Matthew Karanian. Matthew and his partner Robert Kirkjohn have written The Stone Garden Guide to Armenia and Karabakh. Matthew Karanian's website is armenianphotography.com or you can get that information and much more on shows like this at RickSteves.com in the Radio Corner. Matthew, thank you so much for your insight into uh, the homeland of of your uh, great grandfather.
3: Thank you, Rick. It's been a pleasure.
0: Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more online in the radio section at ricksteves.com. Join us next time as we travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.